Well, my brothers and sisters, today we celebrate the Feast of the Holy Trinity, and as I said in the beginning of Mass, I'd like to tie the mystery of the Trinity into something in our human experience, something down here on earth, our experience of family and our experience of marriage. And this is especially appropriate because we're coming up right now, come July, on the 50th anniversary of Pope Paul VI's encyclical Humanae Vitae, uh, which of course at the time was a was a kind of very great controversial encyclical, and it's still very much a controversial encyclical today, uh, dealing with the church's stance on contraception, artificial contraception. So the main import, though, of this encyclical really has to do with the transmission of human life, hence its Latin title, Humanae Vitae, transmission of human life, and that as a reflection of God's Trinitarian love. We see in our Gospel today, Christ sending forth the disciples to all nations, giving them the commandment to baptize in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Here, the Holy Trinity has been fully, completely, publicly revealed. And really, that public revelation, uh, in an explicit sense, began at Christ's baptism, when the voice of the Father spoke to the Son, this is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. And then the Holy Spirit, in the form of a dove, came down upon him. But even before this explicit revelation of the mystery of God, the Holy Trinity, in the Old Testament, going back to the very beginning, we see it revealed, but only kind of implicitly. It's sort of hinted at, but it's there all throughout the Old Testament. Uh, and maybe if before Christ came, we were reading the Old Testament, we wouldn't really be able to see it. But after Christ came and he revealed to us the Trinity, then looking back, we can notice it. And we, we see it kind of sneaking out uh, here and there in various passages. So the very first verse of the Bible says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. God, first person of the Trinity. And the earth was without form and void. And the Spirit of God hovered over the waters, the third person of the Trinity. And then God said, let there be lights. God spoke. And we know from the Gospel of John that the Word of God is the second person of the Trinity. So we see right in the first verse, the mystery of the Trinity hinted at. And we continue on in chapter 1 of the Bible. And God says, let us make man in our image. Let us make man in our image. Kind of a mysterious passage. I thought God was one. Certainly the Old Testament teaches us that God is one. Why is he speaking in the first person plural? Let us make man in our image. What's going on here? Very mysterious passage. Commentators didn't know what was going on. And then comes Christ. And then comes Christianity. And we say, oh, the Holy Trinity being implicitly revealed to us there in that passage. And so we would, we would then come to think, because the, because the Bible goes on and says, let us make man in our image. And it says, in the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. So men and women, together are, in some sense, a reflection of God, the Holy Trinity. How does this work? What does that mean? Okay, Very interesting. We go on in the Bible in chapter 2. There's kind of a, We zoom in on the creation of the first man and the first woman. Again, setting aside questions of how literally do we take this, which are important questions and, and legitimate questions. Let's set those aside for now and focus really on just the meaning of the passage here. We see that Adam is put into a deep sleep. God causes a deep sleep to fall over Adam. And then from his side comes the first woman, 
Okay? And uh, we see this in the Holy Trinity. This is actually a reflection of the Trinity because from the Father, from all eternity, the Son proceeds forth. Okay, and then in Genesis chapter 4, it says, Adam knew his wife Eve, and she conceived and gave birth to a son. They named him Cain, and Eve said, Behold, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And so we see the birth of the first child in Genesis chapter 4. And this is also really a reflection of the Holy Spirit. Because just as he was taken from the side of the, he proceeded forth, as it were, from the side of man. So the son proceeds from the father, but then from the, both the father and the son, as the bond of love between the father and the son, the Holy Spirit proceeds forth. Okay, so the Holy Spirit is, as it were, the fruit of the father and son's love that exists before, between them. So also, when a husband and wife join together in that communion of love, their fruit of that love is the child. So we see right in the in marriage and in family an image, however very distant, of course, a kind of however distant reflection of the mystery of God's of the Trinity, of the Trinitarian nature of God, and especially though of God as a Trinity, as a communion of love, because that's what the Trinity is. When we say God is love, that's what we mean. We mean He is a communion of persons that are in a communion of eternal love with one another. So it would only make sense that if God the Trinity is the creator of the universe, there are certain things that reflect the Trinity. Uh, last year, if you'll remember, I spoke about how the human mind reflects the Trinity, but this, this year I'd like to speak about how the Trinity does that. Notice Eve's, uh, what her exclamation is very, very neat. She says, after she gives birth to her firstborn, after she, after she gives birth to Cain, she says, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. First of all, she's really surprised. She's caught in total wonder and awe that she could actually have created another human being. But she knows she couldn't have done it apart from God. And I think that is the testimony of most parents when they first, especially their firstborn, when they conceive for the first time. They have a sense that the new life of their child that's in the womb of the mother is something greater than what they could have been fully responsible for. They, they, they really sense that this is God involved in this, as it is, as it is. Only God can create the human soul, and with the conception of every new human life in the womb of the mother, a new soul is created by God immediately out of nothing. That is an amazing, amazing truth. And it is, you know, Eve says, I have done this with the help of the Lord, but in a certain sense, the primacy belongs to God. The conception of a child in the womb of the mother is the special sacred ground that belongs to God. And God, as it were, sort of, gives the parents the honor and the privilege. He invites them into that space. And he says, cooperate with me in the creation of new life. How awesome that is. And when the parents take that child to themselves and they love that child and they raise that child, they, they really have a sense that this is, this is not about us, that God is involved in this, that we're just cooperators with God. And the other, the other thought that I have is that 
that love that the parents have for each other that that results in the in the conception of a new child is the greatest gift that they can give to their child. So oftentimes, you know, we understand the parents have love immediately for the child. So it's not just that my father uh, loves me, but and that that's his gift to me, and it is, of course. But it's my father's love for my mother that's actually the greater gift to me. Is that an amazing thought? Uh, so the, the greatest gift that my mother can give me is, of course, her love for me directly, but really her love for my father. Okay, Because the love of the spouses is that they have, that the husband has for the wife and the wife has for the husband, is something that they give to the child, and the child carries that within his heart, within her heart, for the rest of their life. It becomes a, a paradigm of love. And it becomes that which enables them to give love and receive love throughout the course of their entire life. What an amazing gift that the parents give to the child when they love one another and when they stay faithful to each other. So, my brothers and sisters, this mystery of the Trinity, of Trinitarian love, it is seen in a very privileged way in marriage and in the family. And as I had mentioned at the beginning of the homily, this is really what the encyclical Humani Vitae is all about. And I'm going to be giving probably two homilies, I think, on this encyclical. Uh, next month in July, I'll give one homily, and then at the end, sometime during August, I'll give another homily, and then I'll provide some literature and reading material and stuff for those who want to go deeper. Uh, the United States bishops are doing various programs and putting on conferences and whatnot. There was just recently a conference um, at Catholic University in Washington on Humanae Vitae. Excellent, excellent conference with speakers you can uh, view online. And uh, to help us to understand the beauty of the mystery of the transmission of human life and how this is a reflection of God's Trinitarian love. So, in closing, my brothers and sisters, this great mystery of God's Trinitarian love that was revealed to us by Christ, this mystery into which we have entered when we were baptized as children in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. This mystery is expressed and seen in a beautiful way in human relationships, especially in family relationships, the relationship between husband and wife, between parents and children. As disciples of Christ baptized into the Trinity, Let us all, as sons and daughters, as husbands and wives, show forth this mystery to the world by how we live out our family relationships. And thereby, we ourselves will enter more deeply into this mystery of love. And at the same time, this will will be the means by which we preach it to the world for its salvation and for the glory of God, the Holy Trinity.